even when the phone is turned off, if they can see it, they are still thinking about what's going on in their phone. And this awareness that they might be missing something and that they're not connected and that there are notifications coming into their phone is still enough to impact their ability to attend and focus. It impacts their working memory. It impacts their cognitive skills. Just having the phone present, even though it's turned off. Welcome to season six of Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about a family's anxiety and all the big feelings too. We tackle the serious stuff without being too serious. And I'm your co-host, Robin. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author. And I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Fluster Clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. I'll give you concrete steps to take and the words to say. Hi, Robin. Hi, Lynn. <laughs> that always reminds me of the skit from Saturday Night Live when we say that. Which skit? I can't even remember their names, but the cooking show where they were on NPR and they were so earnest. Yes. And they talked about sweaty balls. We're not so earnest. <laughs> no, we're not. But when we start off and say, hi, Robin, hi, Lynn, I feel like there's just this moment of like earnestness, but then obviously then it goes away because I just said sweaty balls. Betty White was on also oh. talking about her muffins. Her moist muffins that tasted a little salty. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's a good one, too. All right, everybody, you can go and Google those skits from Saturday Night Live. Yeah, but I don't know what it was called, but it was a cooking show on NPR. What are we talking about today? I don't know. Oh, I do know what we're talking about today. (laughs) Okay, so here's what I want to talk about, because it's sort of the beginning of the school year. There has been a lot of talk, as everybody knows, about cell phone use. In particular, though, what sort of got my attention is I was seeing some research and some articles about how schools are really trying to figure out what to do about cell phones. I'll just throw a few statistics at you that I came across. In 2009, 90% of schools had cell phone bans in 2009. Then in 2016, that dropped down to only 67% of schools had cell phone bans. And I think they're talking about high schools, but maybe middle schools. But now it's going back up as of 2020. And of course, the research is always a few years behind, and this is probably pre-COVID stuff for 2020. But 77% of schools had cell phone bans. So it went from 90 to 67 to now it's going back up again. But what's interesting is that when I talk to teachers and when I talk to students, cell phone bans in schools are pretty much not enforced. Yeah, that was sort of my next question was, how do they do that? Well, they say you're not allowed to have your cell phone. And then what the teacher said is that they didn't really want to be in the business of policing this and disciplining. What happened when more and more kids started having smartphones and bringing them into school and teachers would take away the smartphones, then a lot of teachers said that they were getting major blowback from parents. Because I remember even at my kids' high school, if you had your cell phone out during class, they would take it away and a parent had to come and retrieve it. And the parents were not down with that plan. Not only did they not want their kids' cell phones taken away, but they also didn't want to have the burden of coming and picking them up. Sure. 
They're punished for something they aren't really in control of. Correct. Yeah. And they also, they just didn't want their kids to not have their cell phones, which is how it ties into the whole, for me, the anxiety thing with cell phones is that I call them certainty devices. And parents really wanted to be able to contact their kids and be able to know what was going on and where they were. So the idea that a kid would be at school without their smartphone, parents did not like that at all. So, of course, if the teachers are not getting support from the parents, and if the kids are totally disregarding the rules and they don't want to be the disciplinarian, then, of course, it became a completely meaningless cell phone ban. There's so much to talk about with cell phone use, but what I really want to talk about today is the relationship of cell phones to learning and in schools and your kids trying to use their brains, not in a way because there's all the anxiety and depression correlations as well, but really how does it impact attention and learning and focus and cognitive abilities and what maybe we need to do about that and what you need to do about that as parents as you're getting into this school year. Yeah, I think this new school year is a great time to revise certain things. I was just talking with my own family. It's almost like a new school year is like the true New Year's resolution period. Yeah, because you had the summer and things were looser and you were doing this and that. And then now we're starting the school year. Yeah, it definitely feels like the start of something. In fact, my husband went to Staples to go buy me a 2024 planner. And he's like, they have planners now that go from September to September instead of from January to January. It does. Which makes total sense. And if you went to school, which most of us did, that calendar is sort of like the Sunday night thing too. That's our calendar. That's the way that we think about things. Right. So it is time to bring in better practices around phones, sleep, diet, you name it. We're discussing all those things at our house. I don't have kids at my house now. So we're discussing work is what we're discussing. Yeah. We are discussing diet though. And sleep. I guess we're discussing some of the same things. So let's hear about the phone resolutions. It is pretty clear from a whole bunch of research that distraction, it's very hard to have a cell phone and not be distracted by it. And in fact, there was one study that found, and they did this with college students actually, students who were using cell phones in class, who had their cell phones available in class, did worse on their exams later on. So if you were sitting in class and you were supposed to be paying attention to the professor and you're supposed to be attending and learning, if you had your cell phone with you, you did worse later on. What was also interesting though, is that the students that were in the class who didn't have cell phones because they divided it all up, of course, but were in a class with other students that did have cell phones, those students did poorly also. Even just being around a cell phone in a classroom impacted the students that didn't have their cell phones available, which really says, you know, when we're talking about kids in classrooms, that if you say to your child, you're not going to have your cell phone with you, I'm not going to let you bring it to school, you're going to give it to me and I'll give it to you when you get home, even if you're sitting in a classroom and 60% of the kids in your classroom have their cell phones out. The 40% of kids that don't have their cell phones in front of them, their learning is also impacted. It's really speaking to the power of its distraction. Correct. Yeah. The power of the distraction. Here's the other interesting thing when we're talking about the power of the distraction is that if you are separated from your phone, 
so that your phone is in your backpack or in your pocket and you're not looking at your phone. If an adult too, but if a kid hears that the phone is buzzing or ringing, if there's some sort of notification coming into the phone, the awareness that they are missing something absolutely makes it harder for them to focus on the task at hand. So you're sitting in class and the teacher says, you need to put your cell phone in your pocket or you need to have it in your backpack or you need to put it in this holder that I have in the front of the classroom. Kids are aware that there is stuff coming into their phone and it makes it harder for them to focus and to attend. Okay, so here's the kicker. Even when the phone is turned off, if they can see it, even when the phone is turned off, they are still thinking about what's going on in their phone. And this awareness that they might be missing something and that they're not connected and that there are notifications coming into their phone is still enough to impact their ability to attend and focus It impacts their working memory. It impacts their cognitive skills, just having the phone present, even though it's turned off. I hope a lot of school teachers and administrators are listening to this episode. (laughs) Well, I mean, but it makes it so hard because now we're saying, okay, so if you have a phone in a classroom, clearly we don't want them to have their phones out. I forget what the percentage was, but like 95% of kids surveyed said that they are doing non-academic stuff on their phones during class, which is no surprise to any of us. You know, they're checking their Instagram, they're looking at things, they're looking at their social media. Huge percentage. If we turn the phone off, it is still just the very presence of the phone in their environment is enough to distract them. Let's take a break and we'll be right back with this discussion. Okay, I've got more bad news after the break. How are those New Year's resolutions going? Well, many are destined to fail, but lucky for you, here's one easy resolution idea that we gave you that we can all make and it will make your life easier. It'll be kinder to our planet and it will transform the way you do laundry in 2024. And that is switching to EarthBreeze. EarthBreeze looks like dryer sheets, but it's ultra concentrated laundry detergent and it couldn't be easier. You just throw a sheet in with your laundry in any temperature and you watch it dissolve in any wash cycle hot or cold. There's no measuring, there's no mess, there's no fuss, there's no wasteful plastic jug. EarthBreeze fights everyday stains and odors, giving you an amazing clean every time. The best part is you'll never run out again thanks to EarthBreeze flexible subscription that you can adjust, pause, or cancel at any time with no hidden fees or penalties. And you'll save a whopping 40% when you subscribe. Shipping's always free, and it comes in a slim cardboard envelope that saves a ton of space. So switching to EarthBreeze won't only make laundry day easier for you, but it will also be easier on the planet. So help me make plastic jugs a thing of the past. And if EarthBreeze doesn't end up being the 2024 update of your dreams, you don't even have to return it. Just let them know it's not for you and you'll get a full refund, no questions asked. Get started with EarthBreeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash flusterclucks. That's earthbreeze.com slash flusterclucks for 40% off your subscription. I am really working on improving my diet by making sure that I get the best quality products, organic foods, 
And I really want to make sure that I'm not using harsh chemicals in my home. Thrive Market is my go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials. The convenience of getting everything online and then quickly shipped to my doorstep, that is a huge time saver. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. I can use their filters to suit my lifestyle needs. So maybe you're looking for organic snacks for your kids, or maybe you're gluten-free. As a Thrive Market member, I save money on every single grocery order. You will too. On average, I save over 30% each time. They even have a deals page that changes daily, always has some of my favorite brands. When you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. So join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash flusterclucks for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash flusterclucks. Thrivemarket.com slash flusterclucks. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. So when you're a parent, you're going to have your fair share of big talks with your kids, right? About all sorts of big topics. One of those big talks should involve money. And Greenlight can help with that. Greenlight is a debit card and a money app that's made for families. It allows you to do instant money transfers. You can get real-time notifications of spending. You can manage chores. You can automate allowance. I know with my kids, we really wanted to help them see the cause and effect, right? If you spend money now, you're not going to have it later. If you earn money now and you save it, maybe you can put it towards some big purchase that you're looking forward to. This is called financial literacy, and it allows kids to build independence, to learn how money works, to make them better savers, better spenders. The Greenlight app also comes with an in-app financial literacy game. It's called Level Up, so that kids can build money confidence through videos, bite-sized challenges, mini games, and more. More than 6 million parents and kids use Greenlight to learn how to make responsible financial choices. So stop putting off the money talk and start putting your kids on the right path. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash fluster. That's greenlight.com slash fluster to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash fluster. Okay, we're back. All this data, Lynn, that you're telling us about the impact of the phone and its distraction on the mind, I feel like it's an important conversation, especially to have with middle schoolers and older kids about the desire to want to build the strength of focus. Like it's not just about restricting phones, but helping them understand that attention span and focus are really key skills in many circumstances in their academic and professional and hobby work. You want to learn how to do that. And it's not going to happen if you always allow. And, you know, this is what's so sad is that the trend of and pervasiveness of cell phone use is really 
on a meta level, inhibiting generations, younger generations of developing skills that previous generations didn't have so disrupted. Yeah. And I think what's really clear when I look at all this research is that it's not something that you can do even if you want to. What I mean by that is that you can't say to yourself, well, I'm going to really work on my focus with my cell phone next to me. Our brains aren't capable of attending to multiple things at the same time. I did a lot of research on multitasking when I was talking about the busyness culture and the anxiety audit, and our brains just aren't capable of attending to two things at once. And so one of the things that you hear kids say is that, well, I can have my phone next to me and I don't look at it and I can still do my homework or I can have my phone in my pocket in class and I won't take it out. And so I can pay attention to the teacher. What this research is saying is that cognitively, that is asking the impossible, that it really isn't possible for kids to be attending to the teacher when they know that there's something coming into their phone, even if they're not looking at it. And one of the things that was interesting too, is that one researcher, one article talked about that not attending to your phone actually takes a fair amount of cognitive energy. So to not look at your phone. So you are resisting the impulse. It's sort of when we start talking about the addiction model, you're resisting the phone. It's sort of what I say about anxiety. What you resist persists. The very act of trying not to look at your phone takes mental energy away from what you're supposed to be learning or absorbing. It's just asking too much of our brains to be able to manage this. And I think it's just got to be an acknowledgement of that. This is something that I've thought about. I went to, we've done episodes on summer camp and I went to a summer camp and my daughter went to summer camp and it was one of those full summer session camps. So you're gone for seven and a half weeks. So you lose your phone for those seven and a half weeks, which is probably one of the few contexts where a tween or a teen is going to have a true cell phone diet in this day and age. Yeah. Because it's not very common for a parent to say like, I'm taking your cell phone for two months because then the kids are still going to be potentially with other kids who have their cell phones or there's other computers. But to have a truly screen-free experience for those seven and a half weeks is a profound experience. Yeah. And I've even been talking to kids that are coming back from camp now that didn't have their phone for two weeks. And the change, the experience that they had not having their phone for two weeks was also pretty profound. One of the things that I think if your kids are still young enough and you want to consider benefits of summer camp, I think this is actually one of the key benefits that didn't really exist, obviously, when we were going to camp. When my daughter came back, it was an incredible opportunity to have a discussion about what was it like to be with your friends in your bunk, talking late at night without the distraction of the cell phone? What kind of conversations did you have? What kind of silliness? What kind of connection? And she got it. And then when she came home, I was able to have a no cell phone rule at slumber parties. Now they're in high school. That's the thing is that in high school, it's really challenging to do that. I think it's just a part of the world that we're in now. Yeah, absolutely. 
So this idea, and I'm glad you bring this up, because one thing that was also pretty interesting as I was doing this research and looking this stuff up, is that this idea that if you put your cell phone away, put it across the room, you put it in your pocket, we've all heard of having phantom buzzing in your pocket, right? I mean, a a large proportion of people said, yeah, they've experienced that. Like, oh, I think I just got a notification. But if you put it far away, if you completely separate from it, that actually seems to be the most impactful. And I'm just going to read to you the quote from this article because I just want to get it right. The more people depend on their smartphones, the more they seem to suffer from their presence meaning that they're next to them, but they don't have them. Or, the author writes, more optimistically, the more they may stand to benefit from their absence. So the greater your dependence upon it, the more the benefits that you will experience when you're completely separated from it, which I think is what you're talking about with camp, that when they had the cell phones weren't there. I mean, I think here's maybe the difference, right? So you go to camp and you're not allowed to bring your cell phone. So it's at home. It's with your parents. You have no access to it versus the sort of like, well, what if we have to leave our cell phones in our bunks during the day? That seems to not work because the energy that you expend thinking about when you're going to go back to your phone, what's happening with your phone, how are you going to follow up or keep track of your Snapchat streaks, all of that takes energy away from what you're doing in the present moment. Very interesting to me. I hadn't really thought about it in this way, but I can totally understand and sort of relate to this experience of sort of either you have it or you don't. And if we can't do that middle ground, I think that's what schools are struggling with now, right? We're going to take away the phones, put them in the backpack, put them in the holder at the front of the classroom. They're using up a lot of cognitive energy, a lot of working memory. I would guess it would be, maybe this is a clumsy analogy, but say that you're trying to not eat chocolate. And so you have a big plate of homemade brownies and you think, you know what, I'm just going to put these in the freezer so that if I want to eat a brownie, I have to take it out and defrost it. It's harder to eat a frozen brownie. I'm just going to make it harder for me to get to the brownies. You're still thinking about the brownies in the freezer. You're still thinking about, should I take a brownie out? How long will it take me to defrost a brownie? I really want a brownie. If I really want it, I can go get it. Versus if you say, I'm going to have no brownies in the house, the debate goes away. And I think it's that debate that anticipation that really what they're saying and looking at it in schools is interfering with cognitive functioning. Mm -hmm. I think families can experiment with this by having a truly device-free dinners together. We're huge believers in dinners together. When we allow phones at the table, adults or kids, that's a different dinner experience. Some adults can't separate from their phones at dinner at all. You have to ask yourself, how effective is having a screen-free dinner for an hour with your family where everyone has to talk and be present or mope quietly or whatever, right? But you can't look at your cell phone for your work emails and your kids can't look at their social media, etc. If that sounds really tough, what would you recommend that they do? Well, I recommend that they do it, right? And here's the thing is that based on what I just said, when you say that there's no cell phones at dinner, that means that you can't have the cell phone in your pocket. Oh, yeah. It can't be in the kitchen or in the dining room. Yeah. It has to be far, far away so that you can't hear it. And I wonder too, based on this research that 
the more you're attached to it, the greater the separation benefits you. I wonder how long that has to happen for you to experience the benefit, right? Is it a two-day thing? Do you give up your cell phone for one day? I think starting with a dinner is really helpful. You were reminding me of something else that I was listening to recently, which they were talking about parents using their cell phones and the inability for parents to disconnect from their phones. They're beginning to see that that is increasing negative behaviors in children. So the more that a parent is looking at their phone, the more that they have their phone with them while they're having dinner, while they're reading to their kids, whenever you're interacting with your children, what they're seeing is an increase in temper tantrums, irritability, all the behaviors that we don't embrace with our kids. They're seeing that as a result of parents being connected to their phones when their children are looking for attention, which makes perfect sense. The most loving thing you can give to someone else is your undivided attention. That's the most loving thing in a romantic relationship. It's also the most loving thing in a parental relationship. And if we're wiring ourselves to not be capable of undivided attention, that's not good. Well, and even in friendships. Absolutely. Yeah. So you're hanging out with your friend and we've all seen it, right? I had teenagers. You've got them right now. And they're sitting side by side, but they're on their phones. They're spending time together, but they're not really connecting. So the term that I heard when I was listening to some information on this was technoference, they called it, but really seeing this impact on kids. The thing that's interesting to me, because I'm not unrealistic, and we're going to have more conversations about this, and we're not even talking today about the impact of social media and the correlations between anxiety and depression and eating disorders and all the kind of stuff that's been coming out recently. We're just talking about the ability to focus and the ability to give your attention to something other than your phone and your attention to your child, your attention to your partner, your attention to your friend. It is interesting to me when I'm in session with people and they've got their phone next to them, there are some people in sessions with me that I can hear the phone buzz. They have the ringer turned off. They hear buzz and they have to look and see. It's in their purse. They have to look and take it out and see what just came in. Why don't you make all your patients and clients put their phones in a basket? When they come in the room? Yeah. Kids actually are not as difficult to manage with their cell phones as the adults, to be honest, because here's what they say. They go, oh, I just have to check. That might be my child. Oh, I left so-and-so home alone. I just want to make sure it's not her. Sure. So this idea that you have to have a 24-hour connection with your kid at every moment, I mean, that's also giving the message to your kid that they can interrupt you no matter what you're doing. The kids that come in to see me, sometimes there are kids that have cell phone issues and they have a hard time. But most of the time, particularly with teenagers, when they're in my office, they do not have their phone open. They do not have their phone. I don't even see it. It's in their pocket or something. They don't take it out. They sort of know that that's a boundary. You know, one of the things you said is that the most loving thing that you can give to somebody is your undivided attention. When you are sitting in my office with me, you have my undivided attention. I wonder what that must feel like to some people who have not had that in a long time. Mm -hmm. Right. So it may feel good to the teenagers to have that uninterrupted, undivided attention with another person. Do you know that lovely, amazing viral video from several years ago of the father and probably the, I don't know, 14-month-old son, and they're sitting on a sofa. They're having a real conversation. Mm -hmm. 
and they're talking about a show and okay, everyone saw that and it was so great. If you haven't seen it, you should. The little boy is talking gibberish because he doesn't know how to talk yet. But he's really trying to communicate a lot. There was a sequel that I saw appear in my social media feed of the same little boy and the dad. The video was okay, but guess what? The dad had his phone in that second video compared to the first video. You see it right there. You don't have to look any further than that incredible exhibit of without phones and with phones, the kind of communication we're capable of. Because you can't attend to two things at once, right? So in that first video, that dad was listening to the cadence of his little baby. They were engaging. The dad was seamlessly picking up. Like the little boy laughed at one point and the dad was like, I know, we think the same things are funny, don't we? As soon as you've got something there that is distracting you from that and you're not fully attending to all of those interactions, then things begin to go south, don't they? I saw another video recently where it was, again, promoting this undivided attention, like contact, and it was a little baby, and the mom was saying, I love you, and the little baby, who was probably like eight months old, says, ah, ga, ga, doesn't say the words, but imitates the cadence, and that's what we're talking about. We are built for connection. People say, well, the reason we, we need kids to have smartphones is that we have to stay connected. Okay, how are you defining connected? That's one of the issues. I just want to put it out there that although I am capable of giving someone my focus, I also am guilty of this. By no means am I saying like, this is what we do and this is what I do. This is something that I struggle with a lot. I'm one of those people that I confess I some days, not every day, but some days I have so much work email coming in well into the night that is requiring an urgent response. And therefore, I'm just not in one of those good spaces the way I can be other days. So I just wanted to mention that. I'm not saying that this is easy and it's something that I personally work on all the time. My husband, your brother, he's better at this. And he'll, <laughs> if he's listening, he's like, yes, I am. <laughs> the reason that we're in this situation with these smartphones is because they absolutely pull us in. They absolutely give us information. They're entertaining. They're distracting. They do all the things that make our brain feel good. We get a dopamine hit. When you hear the text come in, our brains get a little dopamine hit. I think what was interesting to me when I read this is that all these attempts to sort of put the phone two feet away aren't as effective as the phone needs to be gone. Let's take a break and we'll be right back. Okay. Do you think seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist would be helpful? but you don't have the time to actually find one? And then, like, when do you have time to meet with them? Try Talkspace. By doing everything online, Talkspace has made getting the help you want easy, accessible, and affordable. It's in-network with most major insurers. There's no need to commute to appointments. You won't miss time at work or have to line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. Talkspace lets you send messages to your therapist so you don't have to wait for your next session. Therapy can help you shift your perspective and find tools to cope in difficult times. Talkspace is the number one online therapy platform with licensed therapists in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, substance abuse, 
relationship issues, and much more. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash Fluster. Hey, so the other day I had to change my car insurance. And guess what? I bought new car insurance and they sent me a check, right? So that you could buy something and get money back at the same time doesn't happen very often. And it's pretty darn fun. That's why you got to check out Ibotta. Ibotta is a free app that gives you the most cash back every time you shop. On hundreds of items, from groceries to beauty supplies to toys, you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. So the average Ibotta user earns $256 a year. That's actually more than I got back on my car insurance, I'll tell you. That could cover the cost of an entire shopping trip. Other apps give you points that don't amount to too much. With Ibotta, just add your offers in the app, upload your receipt, and you get real cash that you can cash out to your bank account, PayPal, or gift cards. So join the 50 million users, earn cash back, Every time you shop, over 2,700 brands, everybody, retailers, including Lowe's, Sephora, Best Buy. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for trying Ibotta by using the code FLUSTER when you register. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app to start earning cash back and use the code FLUSTER. That's I-B-O. TTA and use the code FLUSTER. Okay, so now back to the show. All right, so I want to just talk to you about one more study that I saw because all the stuff that we've talked about probably makes parents feel not so good, but this might make you feel a little bit better. And then I just want to run through some of the things that you can do immediately to sort of address this, including what Robin already said, which was to have a tech-free dinner. Okay, so here's the study also that I came across. This was a study that was came out of Stanford. It was done in November of 2022, so post-COVID and recently. One of the things that they found was that the age that you give your child a smartphone, ready? This is going to be surprising to you, Robin, does not matter. So what it said is when the child got the phone, it didn't seem to impact positively or negatively whether or not the child developed difficulties with the phone or developed some of the other mental health issues that we've seen correlated. So what was interesting is that it wasn't the age that kids got the phone because they were looking at really like 10 to 14-year-olds. And one of the things that I've heard and that I think you've heard too, Robin, is like wait until eighth grade, like delay, delay, delay. And what they found was that having a phone in and of itself wasn't the problem. The thing that made the most difference, which will not surprise you, was parenting and what the kids were exposed to and how they were using the phone rather than just the age that they got it. They also said that say you wait and you don't give your child a smartphone until they're 15, if there are no restrictions on that phone, then waiting until they're 15 to give them the phone and then letting them have free reign on the phone with no information or education or help with using it, then those years that you waited doesn't really make a difference. They'll be right there with the other 15-year-olds 
they'll catch up very quickly in terms of the negative impact. So I thought that was pretty interesting and very surprising. It's much more about what they're doing on the phone than the age of acquisition. That was sort of the final conclusion of the study. It's almost like, isn't there a study when it talks about substance abuse, that like the earlier you try, then the greater likelihood you have addiction? Correct. The earlier that you drink, it increases your odds of developing substance use disorder significantly. Those stories that say like it's really helpful for your kids to start drinking earlier because then they learn how to manage their alcohol. This is how parents that give their kids alcohol in the home, this is how they justify it. And the research says like, no, that's not the case. If you can wait until you are 21 to start drinking, the likelihood of you developing a problem is much, much less. But with this, they said like, look, you can have a phone when you're 10. It's how you use it and what you're exposed to that makes the difference, which, you know, you think about it, that does make perfect sense. I think maybe there's a trend toward this also, is that kids having phones for communication, kids having phones to be able to let parents know when to pick them up from practice. So it really is a phone rather than a social media device. It really is a phone for communication. And that seems to be not so much of a problem. It's the social media stuff that really is an issue. It seems at this point, that's what they're concluding. I like what you've said today. It's given me a lot to think about and to talk about with my family. I always think of how can you frame something kind of more in a positive way? What's the gain? And I think it's really about improving our focus and reducing distraction. One of the things that could be very effective is to just let your child know, discuss as a family, what notifications really make sense and what don't on phones, adjusting all of those settings early on, giving them the choice and to also perceive that constant notifications of those types of things are actually negative. I know it's a tough sell. If you're a teen and you're getting a text, you're getting a social media response, that's the dopamine hit. I don't know that I get a dopamine hit when I get my work emails. They definitely get dopamine hits when they're being interacted with. Well, don't you think that an Instagram message is probably more dopamine-y than work email where somebody's like, Robin, my flight got canceled. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get my dopamine other places. That's right. All right. So in that vein, let's just talk about some of the concrete things that you can start to do with your family. Now we've got the beginning of the school year. And so you can set some parameters. You can set the tone. And of course, as I always say, like it's never too late. The earlier, the better, but it's never too late. So think about what you want to do. And just parenthetically, I was describing this to my husband who doesn't have a cell phone, everybody. He does not have a cell phone. What came clear to me as we were having this discussion is that he didn't know that social media, that they were on apps. I'm not sure that he even knows what the word apps mean, but he was like, well, how can you have a phone without social media? I was like, well, because you can give a kid a phone and then you don't let them have TikTok or Instagram. And he was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> he had no idea. Yeah. So anyway, that's who I live with. So he has some great focus skills, I bet. Oh my God. Well, he's got <laughs> other issues about focus. It is interesting. Like one of the things I know about myself is that if I have something that I need to do, I can sit down. Like when I'm writing a book, I can sit and write for eight to 10 hours. And I have to put my phone out of the room and I turn my email off so I'm not getting interrupted. But I wonder, I grew up without any of that kind of distraction. Yeah. I don't know that that is a capable skill for many yeah. who were born 
in more recent generations. That's what I mean. I think there's a huge evolutionary impact on who we are and what we're capable of. Yeah, I agree. All right. So here's the tips to think about. So what Robin said, not having devices at dinner, that means they can't be in your pocket. It really is amazing to me when I talk to parents, how many parents bring their phones to the dinner table or have their iPad open at the dinner table and they're doing work. They're just not paying attention. So no devices at the dinner table, put them in another room. That's a really good place to start. And then piggybacking on that, please, please, please get the phones out of the bedrooms. And I am talking about this for adults too. And if you haven't given your child a phone yet and you're thinking about that, it is easy at the beginning to make sure that that's a very, very clear limit. I actually, and I may have talked about this before, but my alarm clock broke, the alarm clock that I had that was my dad's, and I started using my phone as an alarm clock for about a year. And I started doing all the things with my phone that I swore I wouldn't do. Like waking up in the morning and looking at my phone, like looking at Twitter before I even took my head off the pillow. I was looking at Twitter, staying up late, like looking at social media. And so instead of falling asleep at 10, which is when I like to turn my light off, it started going to 10.20, 10.30 because I was so interested in what was coming in on my phone. So I ordered a little alarm clock. They still make them, people. It's a nice little alarm clock. It has a little tiny beep. It's about as big as a matchbook. I mean, it's a really tiny little alarm clock. And my phone is not in my bedroom at night. It is charging in another part of the house. I know a lot of families who do that. They have like a charging station that's downstairs or in the kitchen area away from the bedrooms. But I know a lot of parents that have a charging station in their bedroom and they have their kids' phones, which is a good start, but they have their phones in there too. So get the phones out of the bedroom because we know that it interrupts sleep. Everything that I said before about anticipating that you're going to get a notification happens when you're sleeping too. So get them out of the bedroom. The other thing too is that it might be a helpful thing for you and your family to increase the time that you're not on phones to more than just dinner time and work with your family or talk to your family about having phone holidays on a regular basis. So it could be a weekend. You could say for the next 24 hours, if you go on a vacation, if you're doing something, if you're going out to the movies, if you're going somewhere, that everybody leaves their phones at home. I will tell you, I know this will be shocking to some of you, but there was thousands and thousands of years of human history, including from the years that I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, where we went to the movies without cell phones. We did okay. We got there. We watched the movie and then we came home and we didn't have our phones with us. I love you, but you didn't grow up in the 90s. I'm sorry. I did not grow up in the 90s. I got married in 1990. Yeah. I was all grown up. By 1990, I was a grown-ass woman and I got married. You were? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, when you said that, I was like, what? I grew up in the 70s and the 80s. Right. As I did. Yes. But even in the 90s, we didn't have cell phones. So I did all sorts of things in the 90s without my cell phone because there was no such thing. We had a spring break where my teenage daughter accidentally left her phone at home. Yeah. Because we had a really crazy morning flight. Yeah. True story. So she leaves her phone at home and then she was like, ugh. Okay. And I was like, well, that's annoying, but you'll survive. She was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. By the end of our eight days away, she's like, you know what? I'm addicted to my cell phone. I want to do all of these new things when I get home. And I really, 
basically she realized life is better without one, especially with what most teenagers do on cell phones. Yeah. And so she told us all these plans of what it would be like when she got home and how she would modify cell phone use, et cetera. We were very complimentary. We said, that's great. You're listening to what you think would serve you well. And then it doesn't stick. It is uphill for everyone. Yes, because the plate of the brownies is sitting on the kitchen counter, right? It is hard to resist that. You know, one of the things I've sort of try and pay attention to my cell phone use, I love to walk. I go for walks all the time. It's a solitude of mine, but I listen to podcasts and I've noticed that my phone now is getting old. So the battery is running out and I'll be walking. Maybe I walk like six miles. And if the last mile of my walk, my phone dies, I started noticing that I'm like, oh no, oh no, I don't have anything to listen to. And I'm like, you can just walk with your thoughts in the silence, Lynn Lyons. Yeah. I mean, it really is compelling. That's the hard part about this is that it's really compelling. All right. One last thing. And then I want to tell you a story. Talk to your kids about phones when they're studying. The research couldn't be more clear that It is really hard to focus and attend and learn when you've got a phone in your presence. And so basically all of my tips that I've just given you for managing phones is like, get away from your phones, separate from your phone. And if your child says, I do better when my phone is sitting next to them, that's bullshit people. They don't. It should be gone. Remember, the research found that the more attached you are to the phone, the more necessary it is for you to separate from it and the bigger the benefits that you will experience. I mean, it's tough. It's hard. We know, we know, we know, we know, we know. It's uphill, but it's worth the effort. It is. All right. You want to hear this funny story? Sure. I hope you think it's funny. So my older son works at a rock climbing gym. He was telling me he was just home to clean out his room actually the other day, which was a disaster, but looks great now. They had a a rock climbing camp and he wasn't teaching the camp. He was doing other stuff. But at the end of the rock climbing camp, which was for kids that were like eight to 11, on the last day, the girls, the older girls in the older group decided that they wanted to have an end of camp sort of celebration. They wanted to have a goodbye. So they decided, these older girls, to put together a presentation for the rest of the campers. And so these 10, 11-year-old girls wrote a song that my son said was the most emo song that he ever heard. It was, they changed the words to go with the sounds of silence by Simon and Garfunkel. But he said it was all about like saying goodbye and how camp was so great. And they sang this really sort of emotional saying goodbye song. He said it was sweet, but he was like, it was so funny. So the younger campers were watching this. So the little girls decided that they had to get in on the action and they wanted to do some sort of presentation for the campers. So they came up with a routine that involved doing splits to the song Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, (laughs) which is very cute. The older boys wanted nothing to do. They were like, no, we're not doing a presentation. Sure. But now the little boys decided that they also wanted to do a performance. You can guess what they did. No, I can't. They made fart noises. (laughs) My son said, for three solid minutes, they just farted into their hands for solid minutes. So there you have it, everybody. Just says so much. It just says so much. Yeah. But he told me that story and I just laughed. I said, I'm going to tell Robin that story on the podcast because I think it's delightful. So you can go with the sounds of silence. You can do splits to Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, or you can make fart noises. And 
All of those are very effective and appropriate ways to end your time at camp. (laughs) Thanks for listening. And if you found this podcast helpful, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find this information. And if you'd like to dig deeper on any of these topics, we have specialized playlists on our Spotify profile, and the link is in the show notes. Topics like teens, depression, and OCD. Bye, Lynn. Bye, Robin. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.